0: Back to the Neil Haley Show here on the Caregiver Dave Celebrity segment. I'm excited to welcome the program Caregiver Dave, Miss Sandy Dave, what's going on, man? How are you?
1: Hey, how are you doing? Life is going so fast, man. I can't believe I was 21 just last year and now I'm 68 and a half. Where has it gone?
0: And I try to look at it at 49, but I'm 29. That's going to be my new saying. And again, I'm not just Neil Haley anymore. I'm the media giant. That's my new yeah. moniker and the uh, Blitz Event 610. And my guest today, you know, we were talking off air about one of the things about metal. I loved pounding weights with metal because especially when you're doing lifting heavy weights, that is the best heavyweight workout because you're you're going and you got 300 pounds on the bar and you're hearing something that's real metal and it just gives you that adrenaline and then you're like, okay, let's pump up. And my guest today is, is again, a heavy metal superstar in his own right jack star a burning star but we'll talk about his career and everything and now why burning star jack how are you man
2: i'm doing good it's really a a pleasure and an honor to be on your show man
0: thank you Uh, and it's always great to talk to other entertainers because i i'm gonna first question i'm gonna ask you do you feel the reason why you're still entertaining crowds today is because of the rush of performance, of performing live. How does that feel? Tell me about that.
2: Well, you know, it's kind of addictive. You know, once you start and you get that uh, appreciation, you know, from an audience and uh, you want more of it, it's uh, it's it's an amazing rush. It's a great feeling. And uh, I keep coming back for more of it. So that about sums it up for me. <laughs>
1: A glutton for punishment, huh? Yeah, exactly. There you go. <laughs> so I, do you mind asking, do you mind me asking you your age, Jack? Because rockers I, seem to be in their 60s and 70s these days. And I'm in my 60s. Yep. They've got an, an incredible amount of stamina. Um, do you find that the adrenaline and the rush is, is bringing back that feeling that you had when you were in your 20s and 30s when
2: you're uh, out there? It really is. You know, there, there's something to be said for that. And also, you know, we have a young singer in the band. And when I say young, I mean, he's young to the rest of the guys because he's 29 years old. So, you know, we're all, we're all old enough to be his father and having him in the band kind of, um, uh, you know, just makes us remember how we felt and, uh, what our dreams and you know aspirations were when we were his age and, uh, the rush and the that incredible feeling that he gets because he's new to it. So we want to continue having you know that feeling, and in, in a weird way, we're kind of like energy vampires. You know, we're feeding off this kid. Yeah,
1: he's that's, like the uh, he's like the the car in a race, the pace car. Yeah, and, uh, and he keeps you motivated. It keeps you up to up to speed.
2: Absolutely, and he's a really great singer. Um, we, we, we've only had him really for about two years now. He's from Turin, Italy. And, uh, we brought him over to America, uh, really like right at the very beginning of the COVID, uh, pandemic, we brought him over and we did some outdoor shows with him and he's just an incredible singer, a uh, really nice guy. But you know what? The bottom line is, uh, you know, we let the music do the talking, you know, people yeah. can, can buy this CD, you know, which just, which actually just came out today.
0: So okay. let me get my little plug. Oh, we'll get to it. Yeah, absolutely. Plug is,
1: plug away, plug away. Is, right. is if, he impressed today, by like, your stamina and stuff? Uh, you know, no old man jokes and all that stuff.
2: No, not really. You know, and the weird thing is like, my mom is like a hundred years old. So, um, you know, my feeling is uh, if I have some of her genes, which I probably do, I'll be okay for another couple of years, maybe for another decade or two.
0: So let's talk about how that started because I honestly believe, and this is one of the things I've been really working on is I'm trying to reverse the aging to keep going, feel younger again. It just feels, it feels great, especially when you get to work out, you get to do things you love and it keeps you going. Look at Dave and his energy level is amazing as well right. at his age. Now let's go specifically back. Did you always want to be a rock star? Was this something growing up you wanted to do?
2: I really always wanted, you know, not so much be a rock star, but be a a rock musician, you know, be able to really uh, master the instrument and make music on it. Because, you know, growing up, you know, I I used to really uh, revere, you know, Jimmy Page, Led Zeppelin, Jeff Beck, uh, Brian May from Queen, Tony Iommi from Black Sabbath. You know, I thought all those guys were just like, gods, you know, musical gods. And I wanted to be, I wanted to aspire to that, you know, so uh, yes, I always wanted to be a rock musician.
1: So why'd you come up with the name uh, Burning Star? Because that leads, leads people to believe that, you know, you're you're going to burn out, you're, you're using it all up and, and, you know, all these greats that have died young and here you are.
2: <laughs> yeah, you know, that's one way of looking at it. I'll tell you real quick how I came up with it. I was in a club one day after my first band, after we'd gone our separate ways, it was a band called Virgin Steel. And I'm talking to this guy in the club, you know, and he's kind of like one of these like California dudes, you know, like, oh, what's up, man? And um, so I, you know, I just tell him, well, you know, I'm not in Virgin Steel anymore. I am I started this band and we don't have a name. And then I just on, on a whim, I said, um, you got any ideas? And he goes, well, dude, you really burn on the guitar. Uh, you should call yourselves Burning Star. I said, I just, it just made sense to me.
0: Because Star is a brand with how he spells it, Dave, S-T-A-R-R, because Jack Star was a star. and It's a star star in how that happened. So how did the whole you know, fame come? Explain that big break for you. What was that big break, Jack?
2: Well, in a nutshell, um, I was reading Guitar Player magazine, uh, which I used to do religiously, you know, when I was uh, learning guitar. And I saw this uh, column from uh, one of the columnists from Guitar Player. And it, in it, it was like, um, how you know, do you think you're good enough to be on U.S. Metal volume two? Have you got the chops, you know? If you think you're good enough, send us your best guitar solo. And, you know, it was almost like a challenge, you know, and, uh, you know, even though I really didn't know if I was good enough or what, and I figured there's probably at least a thousand egotists out there in the United States that think they deserve to be on this album. So then I thought about, oh, what the heck, I'll be number 999 and I'll send mine in. And about a week later, I get a call from Mike Varney who was the columnist uh, for guitar player and who started his own record label and he said uh, he goes uh, you're in we liked your playing you know you're gonna be one of the uh, 10 guys on the album that we're putting out Wow and that was it you know that was like uh, that was like a, a, one of those uh, moments you know where the light comes into the room you know and you said okay I can do this thing.
1: You know, everybody has those uh, who am I moments, you know, who am I that anybody would listen? Who am I that somebody buy a ticket to hear me play and then get that validation? I mean, even Trump, when he was elected president, he didn't believe it. He says, look at me, I'm president. Can you believe it? I mean, we all have that.
2: We do. And it's a and it's a good thing. And, you know, a little validation goes a long way because you don't want to be the only guy championing yourself. You know, you want other people. To tell you you're good you know you don't want so for me it really almost literally went from that you know went from some just some guy playing in his bedroom on long island to all of a sudden being nationally recognized and it happened you know really over the course of a couple
0: of weeks wow and that's that's awesome because of being nationally recognized and all that process so from there what band did Based on doing that, what band did you join that kind of brought your stardom even further?
2: Well, after that happened, I was was still in Virgin Steel, but we used that as kind of like a, uh, you know, a tagline. It was like, yeah, we just put out an independent album and uh, the guitar player, you know, got recognized by this guitar player, uh, you know, uh, magazine and so on and so forth. So it was kind of like it it opened up some doors for us. And then when I had a parting of the ways with the other alpha male in the band, because, you know, there were two of us and we both wanted to lead the band. uh, He was more into wanting the band to be more progressive and um, maybe more keyboards, too. Uh, I think, you know, more like uh, bands like Yes and Rush and those kind of bands. And I was more into making it a guitar-oriented band, you know. So there was the, uh, the rub. And uh, we went our separate ways. And I got a recording contract, a pretty good one, actually, with Passport Record. It was the biggest uh, independent label at the time. And uh, they were just putting out an album with Bill Wyman of the Rolling Stones right around the time that I signed up with them. So that was a good little shot to my ego, you know. Hmm. Okay, I'm on a I'm on a label now with one of the Rolling Stones. How cool is that, you know? And uh, so it's little things like that that kept me going, you know. Uh, even though I never had a, a platinum album or, or even a gold album. I mean, I sold a lot of albums, but I never had a a, a gold album. So, of course, in today's world, I probably will get a gold album because. You don't need to sell a tremendous amount anymore because, you know, sales are, are, have been off now for a while. You know?
1: Yeah, you sound like a really humble guy. Um, how did you keep from getting a big head out of all this? You know, that's the biggest enemy of of this industry.
2: Yes, Dave, you are 100 <laughs> percent right. And it's got to do with money. If you're not living in a mansion and driving a Ferrari and you don't have gold albums on the wall. There really is no reason to have a big head because reality brings you back down. You know, it's like you're either Billy Joe or you're not. And if you're not <laughs> Billy Joe, you're just you're just getting by. You know? And but what you
0: have is making hopefully really good music. And then so for people that are not familiar with your music and your success, especially what you have is um, we look at specifically you had two groups, right? Your first yeah. name was Jack Star's Burning Star from 1984 to 1989. So that really hit a good run when your other group was looking to go somewhere else, Virgin Steel, right? So tell us kind of how that went when you changed. Well, that.
2: actually, uh, we, you know, we were making albums uh, under the name of Jack Star's Burning Star. Uh, up until about 2003 and then we got back together because there was a 10-year period where I wasn't even playing metal I was really just learning how to play guitar the way I wanted to play and that was really in the 90s you know the whole grunge thing got really big nobody was uh, really interested in metal at least not in America too much and uh so that whole period, I kind of was on the sidelines and then uh, the internet got big, which was a really good thing. And, and then I found out that, you know, I hadn't been forgotten. You know, I was getting uh, emails from like, you know, Czechoslovakia, Greece, you know, Germany, Italy. And uh, I was thinking, wow, this is so cool. You know, um, I really need to get to do metal again because i'm not forgotten and uh i really enjoy doing it you know i enjoy playing loud i enjoy the power you know the the passion of it you know it's not background music
0: metal and that's what i like about it most definitely so dave what question do you have for jack regarding heavy metal because dave you're never a metal fan were you no my kids were but not me not Metallica <laughs> ever <laughs> or anything or any of the heavy metal I was mentioning to Jack about the big push in stranger things. Now where in the last season of stranger things, they put a huge push towards metal in the last two episodes of season four, which again, dro- left me, my mouth dropping thinking, Oh, I thought that was the end of stranger things. No, there's a season five. I was like, please don't end it like Ozark. Cause I don't know if any of you guys are Ozark fans, ozark's ending i couldn't stand it i hate when certain series i watch the whole time and then the series ends and it leaves me wanting more Well, create another season they didn't so yeah. that's a so heavy metal day and in so many ways had it with the hair bands even to a way when you talk about even a mixture of the hair bands and heavy metal would be also i would say you know looking at guns and roses you're looking at specifically um you know uh, just a bunch of different bands that had a metal mix with the big hair right jack wouldn't you say that
2: absolutely and um yeah in a way it was kind of good that you know i hated grunge music i didn't like like it but in a way it was kind of good because it, it brought a lot of musicians from the 80s back to their more primitive roots um more stripped down, you know, music. And I think Guns N' Roses was really one of the bands that helped do that. Um, and that's what we're doing on this album. You know, the thing with Souls of the Innocent, we've had albums that have had layers and layers of sound, you know, like, like a dozen vocal layers, like 12 guitar tracks, uh, all kinds of effects. Uh, this album... It's very stripped down so uh, we can duplicate this live very easily and uh, it feels really good to do something that that is that transparent that people can listen to, they can put on their earbuds or, or listen to it in the car and you hear every instrument. And if I could just give a shout out to the producer, um, there was a very big band in the eighties called Dockin, I don't know if that rings a bell. Yeah, I remember docking. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, our producer, Kevin Burns, uh, did an album with Don Dockin. He's a tremendous guitar player, and he's also a great producer. So he was able to really define the sound that we were looking for. And what we were looking for was just a clean, heavy, honest sound. We didn't want a lot of studio chicanery. We didn't want a lot of tricks, effects, drum machines, auto tune, none of that stuff. We just wanted to be four guys playing music and a representation of what that sounds like. And I hope that we did that, you know, with souls of the innocent.
1: Well, time will be the ultimate judge. See if everybody's listening to it in
2: a hundred years. Right. Exactly. (laughs) And, uh, you know, um, it's a good, that's a dim prospect. How about in, like, uh, hopefully the world will still be around in 20 years. Oh, yeah. well, the, the world I'm, will I'm be around
1: because we will be in space. I'm so sure Mozart means. had no idea that we'd be listening to his music 350 years from when he wrote it.
2: Good point, Dave, yes. Very good point. And, he was broke. Uh, he died broke. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So...
0: What does that tell you?
2: (laughs) Exactly tell
0: you the the, the whole thing. So, Jack, where do you see your career now? Like with Burning Star, do you have any, like, how, especially with the genre of metal, how it's a different genre now where really it's not in the mainstream as well. It's a lot bigger in Europe, as we all know. Uh, Where do you see it going? In your career in music and metal in general?
2: Well, what I see happening really is that, It reminds me of what it was like in the early part of the eighties before it became mainstream. Uh, It was a cult, but it was like a really big cult and everybody seemed to know each other and they were trading cassettes and, you know, people were going in these little magazines and putting out little ads, you know, I have a live, you know, album from Metallica. I have a concert from Ted Nugent. Uh, anybody looking to trade, I'm looking for this. So there was this camaraderie. Um, and I think I'm seeing that again now. I'm seeing that it's like the people that have stuck with metal have created this brotherhood and it's a huge brotherhood and it's in every country in the world. Um, Burning Star, it really benefits from that cult quite a bit. Uh, We've been embraced by the cult. Um, My son, um, I remember when he was in college, he wrote me a letter and he addressed it to exalted cult leader, dad. You know, he was, because it got to be funny, you know, I mean, we're getting letters from like, I mean, we got fan mail from Transylvania. I didn't even know that that was a real country, but it is. And they had a metal festival there about four years ago. Five years, around four or five years ago. So this thing with uh, metal, it's really, it's large. It exists and it's done without the manipulations of big corporations, at least not in our era. Uh, It might get really big again. And then before you know, we'll have Warner Brothers and Columbia and CBS and everybody jumping back into it. But right now, it's still at a very big uh, cult level. Interesting. And we're, we're right there. We're on the cusp of it. And, uh, and, and it's cool because one thing is you know that it's genuine. Yes. In other words, uh, if you're going into a record store, there's no big cardboard cutout of Burning Star. There might be a big cardboard cutout of Britney Spears or Lady Gaga, you know, and it's really easy to find those albums. So if you're looking for a burning star album, okay, you're gonna look under B, oh, oh, it's not there. Okay, let me look under S for star, oh, it's not there. Okay, but you're not gonna give up. Oh, let me look under imports. Even though we're an American band, most of the time we get lumped in with the imports. So what I'm saying is it's hard to like our music it's not because it's not being shoved down your throat so right. when someone I
0: mean, does like it it means more to us that's, and that's that makes any sense and then and then Europe you're well more well known as we go Dave has his final question right is that correct Europe is just huge for metal yeah Europe
2: is really into it and uh, God bless them because uh it makes us feel good when we go over there, you know, that there are people in the audience that know the songs. And, you know, last time we went to Germany, uh, we were playing one of our songs, uh, Sands of Time, and the audience was singing along with us. And that, that gives you goosebumps when that happens. And we're waiting to go back to Europe, uh, you know, to promote Souls of the Innocent. Uh, we, we're signed to a new label, Global Rock. They're really kicking butt on this album they've uh they i mean they hired a publicist they they are taking ads out they're doing videos the third video came out today and if i could just plug it real quick it's called i am the sinner and that is on youtube by burning star or jack star's burning star either way fantastic and uh so you know they're doing everything possible to make it happen, and that's, that's what we, fair. you know, that's. And then true. I
0: would say, Jack, the, the, there was one song from the '80s that was never played in forever. That's the highest air played song now on mainstream because of Stranger Things, the last season. I don't know if anyone knew this. I'm giving this Stranger Things, but I'm bringing this plug because of the metal final compilation. They had over, I think, 8 billion views in one week mm. on, on um, the number one show, Stranger Things, on the Billion last. with a B? Billion, billion, highest viewed ever Netflix. Yes. And it's gigantic. So Jack, you have now young fans of yes. metal. That's my uh, media giant recommendation of the day. Yeah. You're you right. go to your publicist, you go to your or you go to whoever's marketing and tell them to watch the last two episodes of Stranger Things. Our, and our keep that metal metal complimentation, and bam, because now there's going to be people wanting to download metal all over the place. Opportunities galore. All right, Dave, you have the final question. Go ahead, Dave.
1: Yeah. So I was a normal guy like everybody else. And 25 years ago, my wife has this headache, headache of her life. She has a stroke. She loses her speech, becomes paralyzed on one side. Oh. For the next couple of years, you know, we're upside down. We're just almost broke up, you know. It was, she was angry all the time and she still cannot talk. She uh, speaks through Pictionary and charades, and she has a power chair, but she reinvented herself and our love was rekindled. And now we travel the world. And I'm just helping people understand that hey, everyone is eventually going to become a caregiver. You know, we're all not going to be young forever. And thirty percent right. of these caregivers die just from the from the stress before their loved ones do. So my question is, to you, Jack, is yeah. uh, you know has caregiving touched your life yet? I mean, we're almost the same age.
2: Yes, yeah. it has, and uh, it was. Uh, it's funny that you mentioned that. It's almost like ironic because that was my reality for uh, over a dozen years. I was you taking care of my mom. And finally, it got to the point where we couldn't do it anymore. And uh, we had to uh place her in uh, assisted living. Uh, and and it, I felt horrible doing that. But it was basically it got to the point where it was either going to be me or her I, because yeah. the stress was too much. And they reach a point, too, you know, where they they don't they're not sleeping at night either. So it causes everyone in the house, you know, to be up all night. And uh you know you're right though everyone at one point will either be a caregiver or will either be needing a caregiver you know it's just the way the cookie crumbles and uh, i'm just lucky that it didn't happen to her till she turned literally a hundred years old wow, so uh, i've got a i got a long ways to go i'm going to keep making music you know and uh We'll we'll see what happens. Who are the loved you know?
1: ones in your life? God forbid you ever need uh care. You got kids, you got a wife.
2: I do have uh, I do have two boys, they're grown and uh, uh, they actually live in Pittsburgh, except my son's been living in Mexico. My, my oldest son in Merida, uh, which is a beautiful uh, area of Mexico, I love
1: Mexico. Yeah,
2: so where, Mexico where's your other son Pittsburgh? in
0: Pittsburgh live? Where in Pittsburgh? What locate
2: he uh, lives, uh. It's near where uh, McKee's Mckee's Rock. Does that ring a bell? Yeah, McKee's Rock
0: rings a bell. Okay, yeah. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, McKee's Rock. And uh, I found out Pittsburgh is a very rock and roll place. Oh, it, it truly
0: is. is. You've got a tour. I'm going back and to forth be between that and Texas. But, yeah, um, oh. it definitely is uh, interesting, to say the least. All right. So, best place you can find information on, purchase music, and learn more about you. Where can we go, Jack?
2: Okay, uh, I wrote this down because I didn't want to screw it up. Uh, go, to, go on Facebook, Burning Star Metal Legends page or contact globalrockrecords.com or the official page is Jack Stars Burning Star. Uh, just go, it's a, it's a Facebook page. And uh, all of those will give you info. And then you can also go on YouTube, uh, which is the Jackstar's Burning Star? Look up uh, the latest song, and uh, we're, we're we're pretty visible, you know. It, it, even if you didn't know all that, and you did a Google search, and you Wikipedia put in you know, Jack stuff about you
0: too, you have a good Wikipedia page with a nice yeah. picture of you as well, for sure. Yeah. Back in your days in metal, for sure. Exactly. You know,
2: nobody gets old in pictures. We all <laughs> we all look better. And we all stay
0: looking better forever. All right. Well, we appreciate it. That was a fantastic show. You Again, you're listening, watching the Neil Haley Show's Caregiver Dave Celebrity segment, guys. Take care. We're back to Neil Haley's show. And you know what? When you talk about my guest today, uh, I t- talk about how important to prepare for retirement. And it's such, such an important thing. And you should start thinking about it today. You shouldn't be thinking about it at... 60 when there's a year to go or different <laughs> things start thinking about it in your 50s maybe even your 40s. My guest today is going to teach us how to retire and not die. And that's the title of his book, Gary Sirac. Gary, thanks for stopping by and uh, I'm excited to talk to you today about this book because ultimately at the end of the day if people are not preparing for when they're ready to finally hang up their boots or their or their gloves or their, or their teaching and leave, it's over, right? In a lot of ways, meaning they don't, they're really not preparing for, there's a lot more time in their life to live than just their career.
3: Oh, totally. <clears throat> and Neil, you hit it hundred percent on the head. They don't seem to think there's anything important except money. And that is about that important. And then it's not that important because then it's the rest of their life. And they keep thinking the money's the big deal, but it isn't, it's, it's how do you spend seven days a week for the next 25 years of your life? And virtually no one thinks about that until they get there and they say, oh my God, what do I do now?
0: And Gary, what I like about what you do and your model, cause I know you so well working with you and learning more about reading your book and understanding things is the fact is you take this same mindset today, even before you will fully retire. That you look at those experiences, you look at those ex- spe- special moments, and you understand that money is important, but it's not the most important thing in your life. It's something you need money to have the tools to do the fun things, but yet you have to think about other things as well. Isn't that correct? And that's part of the, what the book talks about.
3: 100%. You know, I, I focus, it's funny, Neil, I, I have this thing called a wish list, which is comparable to the bucket list from the movie. Um, with Morgan Freeman and Jack Nicholson. And I like wish lists because wish is positive, bucket not so positive. But anyway, I've been writing things on my wish list for, for probably 25, 30 years. I wish to did this, wish I would do that. Too busy working to do those. Then you get to the point where you're, you're freed up and you have the time. And then I, I actually just check off boxes. I say, okay, I'm going to get this accomplished. I'm going to do this. Now, some of the stuff I wrote down obviously isn't going to happen. You know, I, that's, Those were too many years ago. <clears throat> uh, yeah, idle dreams, but uh, not reality today. But having the money to do things is important, but doing the things is probably more important. I mean, you got to have both. But if someone said, what's the most important thing about retirement? I said, figuring out your plan.
0: Figuring out your plan and see this is what your, your expertise is, is planning for people's retirements. And that's where you learned a lot why you wrote this book right? Because you saw the experiences talking to your clients, your father talking to clients and learned exactly what people are lacking when you meet with them on a daily basis that they're not looking at once they're looking at how much money I'm going to have saved, not my plans.
3: Totally. And so, Neil, one of the big things that I get into is purpose and passion. You know, the title of the book, The Three P's, that will keep you young, purpose, passion, and a plan. And when I ask people about their purpose, you know they're kind of confused. And then I talk to them about their passion and they're equally confused and, and they almost never have a plan. So when we start talking about retirement, they come in, they wanna talk money. I said, that's great, let's talk money. But before we get into the money too deep, let's talk about, tell me what your first day of retirement looks like, your first week, your first month, your first year. And it's almost always deer in headlight look. I mean, they, they don't have an answer, Neil. No, that's not 100%. That's probably 95%.
0: Yeah, that's so true. Because what it, what it does is that, that they're, they're thinking about, they have some sort of plan. They want to do stuff. Oh yeah, I'll spend time with my grandkids, right? Or I'll do this, I'll do that. But it's not laid out. In your book, you teach that it needs to be laid out. You have to have it, that plan. And what age do you think that plan
3: should start? my sense is I have been creating my plan for 30 years. I mean, really. And and part of it is what I'm doing right now. I I like writing books. I like, I was an English major, you know, closet English major, went to Miami university in Oxford, Ohio. And I always thought writing would be fun. I never thought I would really write books. I've written three. I kind of have the fourth one brewing in my head. We'll see. But, uh, But the whole idea of writing books and expressing myself is is part of my pre-retirement plan, post-retirement plan. I fully intend to keep doing this, Neil. It's enjoyable. And I feel like I'm helping people, reaching people. So, yeah, I think you start whenever something really strikes you and say, whoa, that's something that I'm passionate about. That's something that I really want to do.
0: And that's what you see. You see that people care about when you provide great information. You see it on your social media platforms, especially Facebook and your Facebook group community, that people are intrigued on in what you're doing. They're intrigued how you're living the life you live. And you're not living the, the, the extravagant where, you know, you have the seven sports cars or different things. You're <laughs> enjoying life. And in the book, it talks about that. Enjoy yeah. life. Don't just be, you know, in this miserable mood that, okay, I'm waiting till I'm going to die. You got to live life and thrive. And that's part of, I see maybe down the line for you, that motivational next step, because you can motivate people, not just for retirement, but for life in general at
3: any age. Well, and and I feel like I've been blessed, Neil, is, is a way to put it, because I've been able to experience so many other things in the world with my clients, I've been able to kind of live through them in their own way. And I see their experiences, the ones that work, the ones that don't work, the ones that have no plan and the train wreck that becomes and the ones who have a plan. And it becomes pretty obvious that if you do this properly, you can have great, a great retirement. I mean, it, we were talking yesterday, my nephew and I, Jeff, and he works with me. And we were talking about experiences and how important experiences are compared to how important money is. And we both said, you know, when it gets to the final, final straw, whenever that is, the experiences are going to be way more important than how much you got in your bank. Exactly. Because that's something you get to live with and do. And so, you know, I had a friend of mine, he's taking his 99-year-old dad to Greece for his last trip. And he said, Gary, I'm going over there. And John said, you know, I'm leaving in about a week, and my dad really wants to go see family. And he said, it's going to be his last trip. He said he's got prostate cancer, all kinds of stuff, and he's 99. And I said, so he said, Gary, the experience of this will be so cool because he's going to be saying goodbye to all his family, and I got to be there and kind of absorb all that.
0: See, that's that's the experiences. That's what comes with planning. And you talked about part of the three P's is planning. It's hard, Gary, for people to plan. They, they're living for today or they're focusing on the past. How can we plan for today and tomorrow in the best way? I remember part of your book, you talked about it, but giving right off the cuff, how can we plan for today and plan for tomorrow at the same time?
3: Well, it kind of goes back to that whole wish list thing. I wish what I was doing this, but I'm working. And, and really it starts there. And it's, you know, what do you wish you were doing? What would have an impact on you? What would be something that you just really want to experience um, and I've had so many of them in the last year. I, I had wanted to go to Savannah and Charleston for so long, I can't tell you. And finally, Breeze Airways had this special price. And I said, well, that's crazy. Let's just do that. It was like a hundred bucks or something. So we flew in and spent a whole week doing something I've wanted to do for like 20 years. And, and I lo- it wasn't expensive. We stayed in a nice place. It wasn't the Ritz, but it was cool. And more importantly, I got to do all this great historical sightseeing that I really like to do. To me, and that was on my list 20 years ago. So I I look and I say, okay, you know, there's a a rock band that I like and and I'll tell you a few years ago, The Talking Heads, uh, David Byrne, he was doing a show and it was American Utopia. And we saw it in Cleveland and it was a great show, it was incredible actually. And I told Linda, I said, you know, I'd like to see that show again. And she said, okay, so we went and checked out everything. The only one that was reasonable was in Broadway in New York City. So we flew in to New York for a weekend, went to that show and saw it again. And it was as good as the first time. And I walked out there and said, that was a really great experience. So it wasn't expensive. It was just something that I really wanted to do. I think those are the things, Neil. You look for stuff that really is important to you. You know, if it's hiking a mountain or traveling to California, whatever it is, it doesn't matter. So
0: why do we forget about that once we get a job and have a family? (laughs) (laughs)
4: <laughs>
3: uh, why do we uh we get uh, life gets in the way of life how's that right. <laughs> and that's why you know stuff happens they say oh yeah and then they kind of forget about it and yeah one of my friends uh retired and I asked him what he was going to do he said you know Gary when I was a kid I loved to fish with my dad and my grandfather I said yeah he said I said well when's the last time you fished he said mm, 40 years ago and I said oh he said you know what I'm doing I said no I have no clue he said I'm buying a boat not a big one, but I'm buying a rowboat or something. He said, a motorboat. Now I'm going to get myself a new fishing pole and I'm going to start fishing again. He said, I used to really love that. I just never could do
0: it. One of the things I'm looking to do now I'm getting back in shape is go play some basketball again. I won't go full court like I did, um, but I'm going to go shoot some hoops, you know, and because once you start feeling healthier. So I think another part of retirement is make sure that you're staying healthy because Gary, it seems like you can get going and go, go, go. You're a go, go, goer. If you're like, you know, mortally obese or really have a lot of health issues when you're retired, you're not, you're going to go right to the nursing home or an assisted living instead of really enjoying your retirement. And the money that you save is going to go to something like that, which then oh, leads totally. to yeah.
3: Hey, and Neil, you you hit a great point. You know, part of the book. You know, I I'm I'm not a doctor. I'm not any of those things. But staying in shape is critically important. Paying attention and and you know, I have a guy that this is a bizarre story. He's retiring, and I asked him, and he's plenty of money and a very successful guy. And I said, what are you going to do? He said, binge watch TV.
4: And wow. I said, no, really, what are you going
3: to do? He said, oh no, that's what I'm going to do. He said, I have all these shows I never got to watch, and I'm going to binge watch TV. And and I looked at him and I said, you know, that's great in the winter. I said, but it's not really a good summer activity. And he said, oh, no, this is what I've really been planning on. And he said, I have all these shows that I want to watch. And I said, you have to get off the couch and do something. You're not going to. Plus, he likes to eat. And I said, this is not oh, no. going to be a good formula. Oh, no, this guy's probably put on 20 pounds already. And he's watched the entire NCIS series. I don't know what he's on next, but he's chipping these things out. And his idea of retirement was going to basically, he's going to, I don't know what he's going to do, but is it going to be good, Neil? I mean, you can already tell.
0: You know, it's each his own, but that's the thing. He has to figure it out a way that he can use that passion in a way to, to get out and do things. So that's the thing that we all think about is what we love. We can can create that in writing a book. Then he goes out and does book tours, just writing about binge watching TV, you know, uh, streaming channels. There's so many things we can create a product to do, enjoy our lives and do stuff that we love about sports. My gosh, you know, traveling. And I know you're a huge sports fan, you know, going to all the ballparks or, you know, going to football games. Those experiences are ones you'll never forget. And if people missed out on it, there's a guy I talked to, a colleague of mine. He literally told me, Gary, and this is really sad. I, once I started my business, I stopped going to football games. The last time I've gone to football games, this is my in the 1970s. They were so focused on their business. That's sad because, I mean, I – I in the last 10 months have been really busy with things and I didn't get to watch as many Steeler games as I did last year. And I'm like, okay, I have to make it a point to start watching the Steelers again. And so it's, and then going to these events and going to these things, COVID really hurt us and with putting more pack pounds on, it's like now the focus is people who read your book is say, okay, what I lost in COVID, not being able to see people, I need to really get back to doing those things. And it's it's huge.
3: Well, it's funny. I'm a concert guy. If you gave me a choice of anything I would enjoy, it would be the Cleveland Indians slash Guardians or going to concerts. Those are the two things I really like to do. And both of them got hammered because of the virus. And now music's really coming back. And and we've been seeing shows. We started ramping that up. And we have one next week we're going to go to and one the week after. And you know, I've been picking my spots, but we're going to catch... Yeah, probably four or five bands before the summer's over. And I'm excited about that because that's something that I just thoroughly enjoy. I can just sit down, listen to music and I go somewhere in my brain and it's a great place I go.
0: OK, so for people, I love the part in your book about wish list. OK, and I'm going to make it a point that I'm going to write down a wish list for myself uh, <laughs> of things I want to experience and do different things. One thing I want to cover the Super Bowl. I definitely want to cover the Super Bowl with my media, the Neil Haley show. Again, the number 12 celebrity podcast world, according to Feedspot. We have 150 stations syndicated. A lot of this stuff was a more of not a business idea. It was something I was passionate about and loved, and I made it into a business. So what I would say to you is, what would be your recommendation for somebody who wanted to create a wish list today? Because I think people listening in their 30s, their 20s, their 40s, they need to do this. Millennials are really big about experiences. So they're going to have we're going to have a lot more that are going for retirement at one point, Gary. They're going to really understand you more because that is the new generation. It's all about experiences. It's not it's about how they experience things. It's not about just doing it. So what, what, what wish list would you recommend people to how to get started today on the wish list?
3: Well, I'll give you something I did and added to mine yesterday. I was looking at something and I said, okay, I've always wanted to see the zombies and they've been around and I just never made an effort to go see them. They're they're as old as I am, but they're a really good band. They're a Hall of Fame band. And I said, I am going to make a point wherever those guys are, whether it's Pittsburgh, Cleveland, I'm going to absolutely make a point to go see a show of theirs because they're really good. And, And the thing is, that was a yesterday edition, but I looked in and I looked on my wish list. I have an I have a wish list from about 15 years ago. There's a golf course out in, in Oregon called Bandon Dunes. That's an amazing golf course. Uh, one of the most pretty places I've ever been. And I told my wife about it, I said, listen, the golf was brutal, but the course was incredible. The scenery is incredible. I said, one of these days we will go to Bandon and Dunes and play golf. Haven't done that yet, but I looked at that and I said, that was 15 years ago. I have another one. I've never been on a private yacht. I don't know anyone that owns a private yacht, but one of these days I want to meet someone and go on their private yacht and just say, oh, this is cool, because it was on my list. So, you know, it's just stuff like that, Neil, and, and things that just, I, you know, I, I have this deal. I want to go to the Canadian capitals. I, I've, I've never been to Montreal. Now, Canada right now is not a good place to go, but eventually it will be. And when it is, I'm heading there. So I just kept, I just tell people, write down anything that pops in your brain, nothing is off the charts. Nothing's off the table until you get there. And then you may say, yeah, I don't wanna do an African safari, I'm too old to do that. Or maybe you're not and you just go do it. Those are the things I try and do. I try and encourage people just write everything down because no one's gonna grade you. There are no grades in this deal you either write it down or you don't write it down. And if you write it down and cross it out, so what? I think
0: that's great. And as we all know, when we put things on paper, it's more likely to be a reality than if we keep it in our head. Or that's if we put it here, even when we type it up, we need to put it down in a notebook, do you, is your wish list a notebook, Gary, or is it type? It's actually a wish
3: list notebook. Yeah, and it's so funny because I just converted. I had one online, and I like paper better than online. So I, I'm just in the process of converting, crossing things out, and starting a new one. So it's uh, it's kind of funny when you look at my wish list, Neil. It is a mess, but it's kind of cool. And I have it in my brain what works. So
0: yeah. So people that are definitely following him on social media, that's something to ask. Is what what, what what would you wish to do? What was the most b- biggest thing you'd like to wish for? And that's something that you talk about in your community is because really, and people can join that Facebook community, community of how to retire and not die. And they can check you out and purchase your book. Where, Gary? Because this is um, great. The conversation on the wish list. Love to have you back to talk more subjects about the book or other things in planning for retirement. But where's the best place we can connect with you?
3: actually garysirac.com if you want to buy a book through there i'll actually sign it and personalize it for you or you certainly can go to amazon and pick it up there or any of the bookstores all of them have the ability to order the book and, and they do so it's been uh, it's been very successful so far neil
0: well you are making me motivated i am going to take 15 minutes to start writing down a wish list of places i want to cover and that's uh, the Super Bowl will be one. The NBA finals will be another, all these different ones. And then make it a point to go out and reach out. And then what celebrities I want to interview next. I interview major celebrities, as I know, because I'm very well known as a celebrity, but a uh, podcaster. Who is
3: the next one?
0: If you had a wish list of a celebrity you'd interview, Gary, who would it be?
3: <laughs> wow. I, I think Malcolm Gladwell is amazing. He's a writer and he is just a phenomenal journalist. And I love, I love listening to him. I love reading his books. It would be fun just to talk to that man because he's so good at what he does and he gets into things and he, he does great detail stories. So I like him. Um, I, I think Clive, uh, I'm going to say um, the Jack Reacher author, Lee Child. Mm-hmm. be fascinating to talk to him, how he comes up with his stories. I mean, I, I go right to those author guys because I just am John Grisham. What what an ability, JK Rowling. I mean, all these people had such amazing imaginations. I, I would love to tap into how they actually do what they do.
0: It's amazing. That's what I, the stories I get to so just interview people, even like yourself or major celebrities that literally I get the opportunity to learn something every day. And that's part of, what well, I'll continue to do this when I retire, whenever that will be. But I am through Gary's help and learning from reading his book. I know, guys, trust me. It's going to hit you before you know it, especially if you're sitting here listening to this or watching this and trust me. Get it, pick up Gary's book today and, and create that wish list today. So I appreciate you stopping by, Gary. I appreciate it. You
3: no, know, pleasure.
0: Right. Great, to, great to see you again. Take yes. care. You're listening and watching the Neil Haley Show. And we'll be back in just a moment. We're back to the Neil Haley Show here on the Total Celebrity Segment. I'm excited to welcome to the program. first my host, Greg Hanna of Toss C3. Greg, what's going on, man? I know you're excited about your guest, and you know you're a football fan. Just to remind, how entrepreneurs grind. You were watching football. When was football the big thing for you, Greg? What years? Because you told me you stopped watching football, even though you're in that Boston, New England area, which I don't want to talk about the Patriots all. <laughs> Tell me about
5: that. Yeah. Oh, man, I love football. I remember as a kid, I would get with my dad, and he would hang out on the couch on Sundays. And I was just six years old, five years old, seven. I I remember laying on his tummy, watching football on Sundays. It was awesome. I'm super excited to talk to Emerson today, too, by the way.
0: Absolutely. So, Greg... Just one more question, so what football team's your favorite football team when you were watching all the
5: time? <laughs> that to be the New England Patriots?
0: Oh we okay so <laughs> so you missed all the greatness you just dealt with Steve Grogan <laughs> and some of the exciting things if if I'm dating you and different things like that <laughs> dealing with Super Bowl losses like the bears. Well, my guest today, hey, he wore a Steeler uniform, so I always will always be a Steeler fan and Broncos are my two teams. Uh, I'm excited to welcome Emerson Martin. How are you, Emerson? Thanks for stopping by. I'm
4: doing great. I'm doing great. Glad to be present. Glad to be here and hopefully talk a little football, talk a little after football life. and Yeah. Absolutely. Just talk about what.
0: We're going to talk about life. Go ahead, Greg, with our first question for Emerson.
5: Well, hey, Emerson. Man, it's great to meet you. Um, you know, t- tell us, tell us, where did you grow up and what was your childhood like growing up?
4: So I grew up in a little town called Elizabethtown. Uh we're kind of like a blueberry capital, so there's a lot of blueberries there. So we picked blueberries during the summer, crop tobacco during the summer. Um, just a country boy. We farmed a little bit. Uh we raised hogs, we raised cattle, we raised chicken. So we ate at our off our own land. We uh we kind of just did what country folk do.
0: Wow, and that's interesting. And so in that process of growing up in that, did you feel because you were in the country and stuff like that, you learned a work ethic early in life
4: compared As- to the community in the city? Yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. Work ethic was something that you did. You got up, you had your chores, you had your different things to do. And so we worked hard and we played hard. And I I like to think that's part of my development. You know, from a young child, when you you, bells of hay or... You're carrying bags of feed or doing different things around the around the house to kind of get things in order. Uh, it's developmental. Uh, you know, that develops your strength. By the time I started lifting weights, I was stronger than I knew I was. Uh, playing with my neighbors and stuff, running in the dirt and doing things like that. Uh, I was a big guy, but everybody else was smaller. You weren't going to get left behind. So all of the things that trained you, to be, to have the skill set to do what I did later.
5: Wow, oh, man, that's awesome. Well, hey, before I ask you my next question about the NFL, what was your one max, bench press max, what was it?
4: Uh, so, I don't really know what my max actually was. Uh, when I was in college, my junior year, I maxed 475. Wow. And I never, uh, When I was in the league, at one time, I was doing... Uh, Four sets of 10 with four or five uh as ma- maintenance and just doing reps at that point in time a max is not important you just do things you work out you get stronger you really don't really do a max you're just always trying to be better at your craft you it's know interesting. It's, it's, uh, it's interesting and i love that question greg because my
0: max was 400 i'm a former professional wrestler so I uh, understand exactly that, and that was not the big thing. It's about strength in football, Emerson. It's about, it's not like, you know, when you're these bodybuilders, you see these college kids, they're trying to get these big max. The NFL is all about, you got to stay the course, right? Because the season's
4: so long compared to college and high school. Absolutely. Absolutely. So it's, it's always about um, endurance, The NFL is more about endurance, not a one-time max. So that's why you have the 225 test. How many times can you do it? It's about enduring your strength throughout a game or throughout a day so that you're not just a one-time wonder.
5: That's awesome. That's a great answer. Thank you. Hey, did you always want to be an NFL player growing up?
4: (laughs) That's a funny question because (laughs) at the time, the NFL was not then what it is now. Uh, so hear about it. It wasn't like career goals. It wasn't all the hype. Um, you know, in the 70s and 80s, you really didn't hear guys in the NFL, like you think about uh the receiver lost in that play with uh, Seattle, who's a Hall of Famer, he would sell shoes in the office. So it wasn't a glistening glam in the NFL. Um really growing up, my dad had a motto, and this is what I live by, this is what my children have lived by. You be the best at it or you don't do it at all. So you don't do something half, half-assed, as people would say. You do it with the best. You do it with your everything. You put your heart in it. I never thought that I would go to the NFL because coming out of high school, I had opportunities to go to Carolina, NC State, some of the biggest schools. And I ended up going to a Division II school. It wasn't to play football, but the best education I thought I could get. There was familiarity with it. My dad, we would go there every summer and visit because my dad was a minister and they had a minister's conference. And uh, after my 10th grade year, met one of the coaches there. He kept in touch with us throughout those years. And so when it was time to go to college, we thought that would be the best place to go. And therefore, that's what we did. And so I'm an HBCU product. And to go there and to accomplish the things that I did, I'm very excited. And I would do it the same way if I had to do it again.
0: Interesting to talk about that and talk about specifically that journey for sure. And it's, uh, it's something that you don't expect and you say to yourself, okay, what am I doing my journey and all those things and playing in D2, how many players from your
4: college end up playing in the NFL? A lot? Or not? We, had, we had quite a few guys, um, during that era because during that time in the early nineties, uh, late eighties. A lot of HBCUs are still getting recruited highly. Um, that was before you got the power fives and all those rankings and your know, big TV contracts and all these exceptional coaches in the power five schools now. Yeah, then it was just, they were looking for athletes and they would come anywhere and find them. Uh, so we had guys like Johnny Barnes, uh, uh, Steve Brandon, Chris Williams, uh, Jason Jones, uh, we had another guy, Cornelius, I can't remember his last name, but he he went to – he was drafted in the second round. Uh, Terrence Warren, fifth round, went to Seahawks. And so for HBCU, for me to be able to call those names out, that's pretty – that's kind of stellar for HBCU. Absolutely. Well,
5: it's phenomenal. When did you know you could play in the NFL, and what was it like for you, you know, as a young man – college age, you know, having that opportunity?
4: Well, I think, uh, so the, the Philadelphia, uh, Philadelphia Eagles called me my junior year, and asked me if I was coming out early. I was a Kodak All-American and I was highly recruited. And because my dad was an older guy, I promised my dad I would graduate. So I didn't come out. I think that was when I realized that I was a prospect, um, the crazy thing is I didn't come out because they they drafted a guy from Jackson State that was the same size, same height, same build as I was. And they drafted him in the first round. I believe uh, I went back to my room and I probably cried all day because I didn't come out. And uh, it's crazy because when you come out, when your stock is high and you come out early, you get drafted early. But when you stay another year, then I had so many scouts come and see you. It's, it's no longer what he has the potential to do. It's well, he doesn't do this as great as we thought. He doesn't do that as great as we thought. And so I fell. I fell as opposed to being a first round draft pick. I actually fell and then Kansas City brought me in as a free agent. But they paid me more than the fifth round draft pick, because that's where they had me, uh that's when they had me suspected to go was in the fifth round. So I was grateful for that one at Kansas City. Wow, Great. Hey,
5: just a quick follow-up. You know, I I know parents and dad and all. Do, do you regret not coming out early?
4: Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. I regret not coming out early because my father ended up passing away before I went in the draft. Had I come out early, I think my father would have gotten a chance and opportunity to see mm-hmm. me play. The one thing that he didn't get an opportunity to see me play on a big screen. Um, he saw me play in college. He was very. He was always. But I mean, he passed away at 81. He married a young wife. And so my wife, my mom, my dad was born in 1912. My mom was born in 1938. And so he got a young wife and, and, uh, and he saw us all get through. All of us graduated high school before he passed away. So for that, but um, just wish that he could have seen me.
0: That's got that's and it's that these things happen uh, for sure. And uh, the, the process take us to draft day. How did that feel?
4: You know, we, uh, Draft day for me was, we were around the house. Um, it was me and my mom, my dad had just passed, like I said, he had passed in January. So I didn't, you know, it wasn't a big sin and just us sitting around waiting for a phone call. Um, it's not like it is today. So we were just sitting around the house waiting for a phone call. People called uh, early before the draft was over. uh, Thought people were going to take you. They didn't take you. Uh, And so, you know, it was just a lot of back and forth trying to figure out when we were going to go, what were we going to do, stuff like that. All right. Cool. Great. Next question.
5: Yeah. You know, what's your fondest memories playing college football? Wow. And and a quick question also. Were you a guard in college also?
4: So I played guard in.